My older sister's health took a rapid decline. Um, I just felt so helpless, and I wanted to do something to help her um, and to help other families in similar situations to mine. The Run, Walk, and Roll was an idea that really started in 2018. It was just throughout that year when my sister had a really difficult year medically and when she was in the hospital um, at CS Mott Children's Hospital for over seven months of that year. When you're living with a disease that you've had for 12 years and you've been you know, across the country, you've seen so many doctors, and it's really, you really get to the point where, you know, so many people are like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't know. We don't know what you have. We have these things to try, but, you know, we just, you know, to not really get answers, it can be really frustrating. It can feel like, I you know, I started to talk about the idea, I was like with a friend one night, we were at my kitchen table and just feeling, you know, so helpless and just, you know, wanting to do something to help other families. See, it just, it just, honestly, it blew up. <laughs> and it just went from, this idea of, wow, this would be really cool to do something to give back to all of a sudden we have 500 people coming to our event and we raised $46,000 in that first year. So the proceeds for Run, Walk and Roll go to the palliative care department at CS Mott Children's Hospital. Yeah, and, and I like to say that palliative care is really the hands and feet of Jesus in the hospital, that they're, they're really the ones that are looking out for patients. You know, they look out for them, how they're doing emotionally and spiritually. Um, in addition to just how they're doing physically. You know, I would love to see people, you know, obviously sign up for the event. Our event is also all-inclusive, so, um, you know, wheel wheelchairs and strollers are also welcome, or bicycles if you want to do a 5K on a bike, um, or on a scooter, or anything like that. Um, yes, so you can run, walk, or roll it in person at Gross Point South, or virtually from anywhere around the world. So I just want to say thank you, and I cannot wait to see what we do. Um, with the funds from this year's event and the ways we're able to expand the reach of palliative care. Hey, uh, this is our family, right? And the Sharons have been a part of the Grace family for a long time. Uh, and this is a way that we can uh, communicate to them that we see them, uh, that we care. And we want to be with them. I would love it if uh, Grace alone brought 500 people uh, to this event. And we have that many people that can do that. Uh, you can walk, you can crawl, you can ride a scooter. I, when she said ride a scooter, I thought, well, that would be different for me. But anyway, uh, there's really no excuse. You don't have to run this. If you want to run it, if you're a runner, that's great. Come as a family. We did it last year with our grandkids. It was a blast. Um, so just uh, sign up. There's a QR code there to do it. Uh, but let's come out in force and let the Sharons know that we love them and we see them and we care about them. Uh, Chris was the father, was standing right here singing in the worship uh, band today. So really love for you to be a part of that. So good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Pastor Doug. I serve here as the lead pastor. Uh, I did, that's why I said it, because John got an applause and I wanted an applause too. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're going to do things a little bit different this morning. Um, I'm going to look at an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage with you. And if I do my job well, 
uh, this morning. Uh, I want you to see the profound connection uh, between what we're studying, Revelation, and the old and the new. So grab your Bibles or the Bibles under your seat, or if you're at home, make sure you have a Bible with you. Turn to Exodus. That's right, Exodus. That's the second book of the Old Testament, chapter 15, uh, page 57, if you're in the Bibles under your seat. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. Uh, and what I want to encourage you to do uh, every Sunday is have a Bible with you. Uh, we're doing the journals now when we're teaching through a book of the Bible. So bring your journals with you if that works. Um, but take notes. I say this every week, but it's important. Underline keywords, key phrases. If you get a nudge from the Spirit, write it in the margin of your Bible. Interact with the Word of God. And I also want to encourage you every time, whether it's Sunday morning or throughout the week, every time you hear the Word of God being read or you are reading the Word of God, read it with an expectation that God wants to speak to you. The word of God is alive. The word of God is active. And if we open our hearts and our minds with a sense of humility and say, God, speak to me through your word, something uh, profound often happens. So approach it that way. It's not just a book. Uh, it is the word of God. A little bit of context for what we're about to read in Exodus 15. I want you to sort of visualize it. Millions of Israelites are standing on the shore of the Red Sea. Men, women, children, uh, they're standing by the Red Sea and they have just witnessed over the last few months the 10 plagues. You remember this story? Some of those plagues, you know, the water turning to, to blood, frogs, uh, death of the livestock, um, hail, boils, all of these plagues, darkness, just to name a, a few of the plagues. And, and God has just parted the Red Sea and some of the stories coming back to you. And, and the people of God have crossed the Red Sea on dry land. And, and as they looked over their shoulders, they saw the Red Sea come back together and swallow the armies of Egypt, the Egyptian army, the evil empire is utterly wiped out, at least their military force is wiped out. And I want you to sort of see it in your mind, but the, the turbulence that they must have seen in that moment now has, has calmed, right? The sea is calm, but they all know beneath, beneath the waters are all of those bodies and the armies. So stand with me as we read the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses, Exodus 15, verses 1 through 18. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host has cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O oh Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O oh Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury and it consumes them like stubble. 
At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, and deeps congealed in the hearts of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonder? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You have led your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength and your holy abode. The people have heard, they trembled. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Tremble seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Israel, pass by, O Lord. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased, verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary. O Lord, which your head have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. So in addition to this psalm of Moses, I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. So it's going to come up on the screen, and I would like you to participate with me as we do the Lord's Prayer. Are you rather ready? Coming up. Yep. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I pray in these next few minutes that you would awaken our spirits, that you would awaken our minds. I do pray that you would speak a word through the reading of your word through the teaching of your word, through the songs that we sing, through the conversations that we have in the lobby. Lord, that you would use whatever you desire to use to speak a word to every heart that's in this room and every heart that's listening online. Lord, would you speak a word that we would leave different than we came because we have encountered the living God. The same God who parted the Red Sea desires to speak to each one of us. How cool is that? Help us to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It's interesting. Uh, it's nowhere in my notes, but when I was, uh, I, I come in real early in the morning on Sundays, usually just a little after five, and I sit with my sermon, kind of do some edits and just think through what I want to say. And I'd, I'd re really finished all of that, and I was walking through uh, the, the hallway upstairs of the offices, and I felt like God said, just tell the people to be right and be ready. Be right. Be right with God. Be, be right in your walk with God and be 
ready. So that's the title that I didn't have when I was writing the sermon, but I feel like God wants us to so hang on to that in your mind's eye and see if that doesn't make sense as we walk through Revelation uh, 15 and 16. We're in this final stretch of our journey. We've got about four weeks left before we finish uh, Revelation. And the guiding principle for our journey through Revelation and, and our interpretation and understanding of Revelation is to hold tight to the reality that this is a letter that was written to seven actual historical first century churches. Right, And we have to understand what the letter meant to those seven churches before we can even begin to understand what it means for us in the 21st century. This is a, a, a primary, if you will, rule of biblical interpretation. If we don't know what a passage meant or a letter meant to the original recipients, if we don't know what it meant to whoever it was written to, whether it's Colossians and the church in Colossae or whatever the case, if we don't know what it meant to the original recipients, we cannot know what it means to you and I, right? Context matters. And that being said, here's the deal. We have the advantage over the first century church in the fact that we have 2,000 years or a little bit more than that of history as we interpret Revelation, where they were, were, were reading it and waiting for events to happen. We can look and we can see events that have already happened. William Hendrickson, a theologian and one who's written a lot on Revelation, said these words. He said, in the history of the world... A definite and ever reoccurring order of events is clearly evidence. History shows us these reoccurring events. What we see in Revelation is the stories and many of the events of Revelation happen and then they happen and they happen. I did this on the whiteboard a few weeks ago where I kind of showed the circular nature. And this is how it plays out. It plays out something like this over and over. See if this sounds familiar as you think about history or even your own life. The word of God goes out, right? And the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful way and people come to faith in Jesus. This is what happened in Acts, right? The, the word of God went out and, and a sermon was preached and the Holy Spirit moved and the church began to grow, right? Churches are established, right? And, and Christ's very presence and power rests in those churches, Right, We see this in chapters 1 through 3 of Revelation. Then persecution and opposition rises up against the church. And the church experiences great trials and tribulations of all kinds. This is even kind of the story of our own journey with Jesus. I'm talking corporately, but you could apply this individually. And that, that, that rising up of the evil empire, if you will, or the forces that, that bring trials and tribulations, that's really chapters 4 through 7 of Revelation. And here's the deal. Some churches endure the trials and tribulations and others succumb to the pressures of society and the trials. And we, we see that clearly in the seven letters. And those that endure are blessed, right? But those who succumb to the culture or the trials says that their light is extinguished, that God removes the lampstand. And then God brings judgment. And he brings judgment in, in many different forms against those who oppress the church. But within those judgments is always this, this call to repent, right? So there's intense conflict between the church and the world. There is this fundamental battle that's taking place between Christ and Satan. 
right? That we, we see the, the battle playing out between the seed of the woman, which is Jesus, and the dragon, which is Satan. And that's really chapters 12 through 14 of Revelation. And all of this points to the, the theme or pattern of Revelation, especially as we think about the seals, which was, remember when we talked about the seals or the trumpets, Right, That there is this judgment that's leading up to the second coming of Jesus. And there is this call to repentance. So it keeps happening over and over. We had to ask ourselves, why? Why, do, why does this pattern keep returning or keep re- repeating itself? It's, it's because of God's mercy. right? Because God is delaying in his second coming so that no one would perish. So that people have the opportunity to turn back to Jesus. One more observation I want you to see that really helps us to truly understand the book of Revelation. And then we're going to look at these two chapters. The writer of Revelations, John, assumes, and this is a big assumption, that the reader of Revelation has an extensive understanding, contextual understanding, uh, a literary understanding of the Old Testament. I want you to see this graph. This is phenomenal to me. This is just the book of Revelation. So these are the chapters of Revelation, chapter one, two, three, all the way through. Everything that's blue, every line on here, and if you, if, I don't know if you can see it. I guess you can see it pretty good on the screen, but there's too many lines here to even count. But every blue line is a connection from this chapter, a, a specific verse in this chapter, to the Old Testament. So you can see straight lines going across. This is where Genesis, X, all the way through, right? The red lines are the reference, cross-references to the New Testament. But it's crazy, right? The number of cross-references to. And John is assuming that you understand the Old Testament. The problem is... The average reader is not that familiar and doesn't really understand the Old Testament the way that they should, so they miss the the point. So let me explain this to you with just giving you a little bit of a story. When we assume that somebody knows the context of a story, we leave out important details. So if I were on the stage and I were telling you about last Christmas when all of the kids came into the living room or or all the kids came down and and they went and they got their presents from under the tree, all of you would be visualizing what? A, A pointy little evergreen tree, whether it was real or fake with lights on it and decorations and under that tree are some presents that are wrapped with colorful wrapping and both. Now, I don't need to explain all that to you. As a matter of fact, if I did explain it to you, you'd be like, yeah, we've done Christmas before. We know what a tree is, right? But think about 2,000 years from now, somebody's listening to that sentence, right? And they would think, now, why in the world would they put presents under a tree in, in late December in Michigan and send the kids out to a tree to get the presents, right? It wouldn't make any sense to us because we don't have the contextual understanding. Well, that's a lot of revelation. If you don't understand the historical and the biblical context, we're making assumptions that aren't there. And so John's assuming that we understand all of these crossroads, that he doesn't go into detail with every single one of them because that would be insulting the intelligence of the reader. Make sense? Okay, I have no idea where I am in my notes, so give me one second. (laughs) All right, grab your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 15, uh, and we're going to look at what's called the seven bowls. The bowls are poured out by the seven angels, and we're going to try to connect the dots to that Exodus passage I read and to 
the prayer that we read together. So Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 is where I'm going to start. You got it? What page is that in the journal? 64? 54. 54 if you're using your journal, okay? Revelation 15, 1 through 3. John is writing and he said, Then I saw another sign in heaven. Remember, this is what keeps happening. John keeps seeing signs. They're not always completely different. Sometimes it's just another way of seeing similar things. But in this case, it's, it's kind of a new chapter in Revelation. He says, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, which, which is pretty fascinating when you think about what we're about to read. Here's my homework assignment for you. I can't read all of 15 and 16, but read it today. Like, oh, maybe even read it with your kids if if, if they're in here listening with you. But read it in its entirety today because it's going to make a lot more sense post-sermon for you. Okay, so then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues. Not sure great and amazing and seven plagues have ever been used in the same sentence, but there it is, which are the last. That's important for us to see. From with them, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who had conquered the beast and its image and number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sang, look what they sang, the song of Moses, the song that we just read and the servants of God, and the song of the Lamb. We're not exactly sure what the song of the Lamb is, but they're singing these two songs, the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses that we just saw. Now, have you ever watched a movie where it starts with the end? Like there's a scene that plays out, and then all of a sudden, the movie really is all of the events that took place leading up to that, and you have to kind of pay attention, and somebody comes in late, they're like, what's going on? And you tell them to be quiet because they're not there. That never happens in my house. But anyway, right? So this is kind of what's going on here. We're seeing the end, but then the rest of 15 and 16 are all of the events that lead up to this standing by the sea, right? It's very similar to that. So what do we see? We see all of the people of God, all of those who have resisted the beast, right? Standing on the edge of the sea. Sound a little bit familiar to what I was just talking about a few minutes ago? And the sea is like glass mixed with fire. Like glass, it means it was calm. Have you ever looked at a lake when it's like glass? There's no wind, nothing's disturbing the surface. It's just, it's smooth, it's calm, it's tranquil, right? The turbulent waters of these two chapters have have settled. They're standing on a calm sea, but it's mixed with fire, which means it's mixed with the fiery wrath of God. Something profound has taken place and the people of God are standing on the shore and they're singing the praises of God, just like they did in the days of Moses. The Exodus story is this profound foreshadowing of Jesus, right? It's, it's, it's shocking how many foreshadows, if you've ever had a chance to do a Seder meal, which is, is, is built around the Passover event and how many things point to Jesus, it's shocking. But it's also an incredible foreshadowing of the very book that we're studying, the book of Revelations. So what happens in Exodus? The people of God are being tormented, 
right? They're being pursued by the evil, oppressive beast. In this case, it's the Egyptian empire. God brings harsh judgment to the Egyptians in the form of plagues, right? And, and we see those plagues played out. And then God provides a supernatural escape for the people of God by parting the Red Sea. They travel across dry land. They reach the other side. God drowns the forces. And the people stand on the shore and they sing the praises. They literally stand on the shore of the Red Sea, which is like glass filled with the fiery wrath of God. And while the story of Exodus is a brutal blow to the forces of evil, it's not the last battle in human mankind. The difference between the Revelation story of 15 and 16 is it is the final battle. The people are celebrating the consummation and the return of the Lamb of God. The day of the Lord, that, that theological term that we see throughout the scripture, the day of the Lord has finally arrived. This is the final battle. Look at chapter 16, verses 14 through 16. So just turn the page, chapter 16, 14 through 16. For they are demonic spirits. It's talking about these, these frog-like things that go out. Performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. That's that theological term, verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. It's probably in red in your Bible because these are the words of Jesus. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Be ready. In season and out of season, he will return. And here's what you need to see from 15 and 16 is the season for repentance will be no more. This is the final chapter. And it will come. There's a lot of faulty speculations about the battle of Armageddon. But what we know to be true is it's not a battle between two world powers. It's not a battle between this nation and that nation. It's not a battle over geography as we know it. This last battle is the battle between good and evil. It's a battle between the seed of the woman, the lamb, Jesus, and the dragon, Satan. Right, And the Red Sea of the Exodus story was the human foreshadowing of what will eventually be a supernatural spiritual battle between good and evil. And in case you weren't here last week, let me remind you, Jesus wins. Right? Now jump to chapter 16, verse 17. It says, the seventh angel poured out his bowl. So we've had six bowls poured out, which you can read about later today. So the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Seven bowls are poured out and with the seventh bowl, God's wrath is complete and evil is defeated. There's a huge difference if you're reading through Revelations and paying attention between the seals and the trumpets. 
and the seals and the trumpets, great plagues came, but they affected often like a third of the people, a third of the sea turned to blood, a third of the waters were contaminated. It was a partial plague, but not a, a complete plague. We see that all the way through chapter 6 through 11. But suddenly when we get to chapters 15 and 16, it is worldwide, total judgment. All of the followers of the beast are covered with painful sores or boils. All of the sea turns to blood. It says all of the living creatures in the sea die, right? The sun is allowed to send solar flares so strong that all of the people are scorched on the earth. The inhabitants are burned. And at this point in the pouring out of, of these different plagues before this. I just want you to see this. Look at verse nine, or six, yeah, 16, verse nine. It says, the plague is poured out, but they did not repent and give him glory. There's still, even as the plagues began to be poured out, there still is an opportunity for evil to repent. Look at verse 11. Fifth bowl is poured out, total darkness. The people are in anguish, so much anguish, so much pain that they're biting their own tongue. And it says in verse 11, they did not repent and give him glory. With that sixth deal that we just read about, the, the forces of evil are like drawn out of hiding and they go and they, they gather all the kings for the great battle. What's going on there? They're basically drawing all of the enemy out into the open for this great battle of Armageddon. Here's why we did read the, the Lord's Prayer. For over 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus are praying that prayer because Jesus said, this is how you pray, right? And, and they've prayed that prayer. And with the pouring out of the seventh bowl, it finally happens. We pray, your kingdom Come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We live in a time where the kingdom has come in part. We live in the now and not yet. We see and we can experience the kingdom of God in our, in our worship, in our teaching, in our reading of the word. The Holy Spirit is active in our part of life. We get a, a taste of what it will be when the kingdom comes in full. Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus will stand on the shore of a sea of glass mixed with fire and marvel at all that God has done. But the sobering truth is in that moment, the opportunity to repent is over. Look at Revelation 15, 8. I know I'm jumping around. I'm just trying to give you all the context. So when you go back and read it, you, that it makes sense to you. So Revelation 15, 8, it says, And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The sanctuary is filled with God's Shekinah glory. And no one could enter. 
Two things that we need to know. It, it tells us that these seven plagues come right out of the temple of God, that they're, they're sent out by God. And it also tells us that there is no longer an opportunity for the intercession of the saints. Remember how their prayers would go up before the altar. Now no one is in there and there's no opportunity to pray and intercede. The takeaway from chapter 15 and 16 is twofold. There will be a day, and maybe it will come because of your natural death, or maybe it will come because of the inevitable return of King Jesus, where there is no longer an opportunity to repent. And the challenge this morning is choose this day who you're going to serve, because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Turn to Jesus. Surrender everything to him while there is still time. The second application from this graphic description of the final chapter is found in the words of Jesus. Chapter 16, verse 15. We read it just a minute ago. It's in quotation marks. It's in red in most of your Bibles. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. This has been one of the consistent threads of this entire series. Our lives, our daily activities, our conversations would be radically different if we lived with this eager anticipation that Jesus was going to arrive on the scene at any moment. Meg and I love to host events at our house, and God has, I think, given both of us a, a little bit of gifting and a heart of hospitality, and our summer calendar is already filling up with lots and lots of patio events, and uh, we are preparing for our guests' arrival. Yesterday, I, I don't know exactly how many guys were there, 15, 14, something like that. 14 guys showed up at the house. We worked for several hours cleaning up things and moving things and fixing things and getting ready. What we're doing, we're getting ready for the, the return of all of you to those patio events, right? And, and we, we clean, we prep. When the event's actually getting close at hand, we do a lot of work preparing for your arrival, Right, but, but the advantage we have is it's on the calendar. And we know the date. We don't really know what time you're going to show up because you're not very good with time. But anyway, we know the date. Nice. Yeah, somebody likes that. But we know, right? We know when you're going to show so we can prepare appropriately. And the question is, well, why didn't Jesus just tell us? Why didn't you say it's going to be uh, June 17th in 2023. I'm going to return. Why? Because, because we're evil. And because we would live our lives recklessly knowing that, well, it's May. We might as well go crazy because he's not coming back till June. <laughs> right? And we might say, well, we wouldn't do that. But we actually do that anyway. Right? And, and so he doesn't tell us. And he says, live your lives in this tension. Live your lives with this urgency. This is actually... This, this attitude, this disposition, it's thematic through all of scripture. Make the most of every opportunity, right? Let me just show you three verses. Job 14, verses one through two. Job says, death comes soon to all. Man, but you could just say anyone who is born of a woman, which I'm pretty sure includes all of us, is few of days and full of trouble. 
they come out like a flower and wither. Right? He, he flees like a shadow and continues not. What is he saying? Life is short. James 4.14. Why? why? Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Ephesians 5, 15, beginning of 16. Look carefully then how you walk. Has nothing to do with your gait. It's be careful how you journey with Jesus. Right? Be careful about your walk with God. Look carefully how you walk with God, not as unwise, but wise. Make the best use of the time. These passages aren't meant to depress you. They exist to wake you up, to, to light a fire of urgency under you. They're throughout the scriptures for the express purpose of spurring us on to action. And the action is twofold. Right? First, turn to Jesus, live your life for him in, in every arena, get right. And the second is be a light, right? Tell your, your friends at school about Jesus. Tell your friends at work about Jesus. Tell your neighbors about Jesus. Tell your sons and your daughters and your cousins about Jesus, the pouring out of the bowls of revelation is going to happen. The opportunity for repentance will end. And in the meantime, you and I are told to make the best of the time that we have. Stay awake. Be ready. Keep the lamp burning. Look again at the words of Jesus. I actually really, I love this. Verse 15. He says that, you and I, we need to keep our garments on that we may not go about naked and exposed. You know what he's saying? Don't get caught with your pants down. <laughs> right? That is what he's saying. Like, it's pretty graphic, but it drives home the point. You, you don't want to get caught in that position. Do the right thing. Get ready. Be ready. Live a life of integrity that honors God. Have the conversation. Who's God stirring you to have the conversation with? Have it. You may not have tomorrow. I want you to just listen for a moment. We're going to come to the communion table. John's going to come up and, and play a little bit for us in the background. But, but the scriptures tell us before we come to the table, we ought to examine ourselves. And this, this sermon, this passage leads us right to the examination. God, where do I need to... Get ready. Where do I need to, to get my life in order? Where are the things that, that are holding me back? What, what is entangling my walk with you? And leave it. Like repent. Turn away. Right? Where do I need to get ready? Where do I lack integrity? Those are the questions just to ask yourself as John plays. And maybe the other question is, God... Who do you want me to have the conversation with? Who do you want me to share Jesus with? Where do you want me to be intentional? Maybe it's some classmates. Maybe it's some workmates. Again, I think sometimes the hardest people to share with their family. Maybe you have a son or a daughter and you just know you need to look them in the eye and talk about the love of Jesus. So we're going to just take a minute. John's going to play. I'll give you some time to reflect
to practice what the scriptures say. A man ought to examine himself. You're welcome to jump up if you don't have elements and just come down and grab them. There are some gluten-free elements here if uh, that works better for you, but just grab what you need. And I'll come back in a minute and we will take the elements together. scriptures tell us that on the night that Jesus betrayed, sitting there in that upper room, celebrating the Passover meal, celebrating the Exodus story that pointed towards him, that pointed towards revelation. The scriptures tell us that he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you take it, remember me. says in the same way he took the cup he said this is my blood shed for you a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins every time you drink it remember me Lord I pray in this moment in this church that we would heed your words to get right and be ready to turn where we need to turn back to you to pay close attention to how we walk not in a desire to heap shame or guilt but in a desire just to walk unencumbered and that we would live our lives with the reality the seven bowls are going to be poured the time for repentance will be gone. A great and glorious day for those who love Jesus, but pretty ominous for those who have rejected him. Help us to lead our friends to Jesus. Help us to lead our family to Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room who has not said yes to Jesus, that they would do it in this moment, that they would say yes, whether they're online or sitting here, that they would just say yes. No more fighting, but they would surrender 
to the one who gave his life for them, his body broken and his blood shed. Amen. The scriptures say that when they had taken the meal, they sang a hymn together. So we're going to sing. So I encourage you to stand. Sing with us. group met this morning and prayed for you, this is what they heard, that there's uh, some who are struggling with fertility issues, we would love to pray for you. Uh, Someone has injured their left arm, we would love to pray for you. There's a college student who is stressed about exams, Uh, we would love to pray for you. Somebody laugh, that could be very serious. Uh, Someone is discouraged and the Lord just wants to tell you to lift your head and Someone who just knows that they are spiritually blind and they would like God to show up, reveal truth, and to open their eyes to him. If any of that resonates with you, you can come down front. We have some trained people that will pray with you. If you're online, there's a couple numbers on your screen. If you dial either of those two numbers, they'll put you in a private Zoom room where you can be prayed for as well. If you have a physical need, spiritual need, maybe a little bit of both, uh, we believe that God hears our prayers And God moves through our prayers, so we want to have the opportunity to pray with you and pray over you. God bless you. Come back next week as we continue the next two chapters of Revelation.